Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Brother Reed. And I'm Pastor Andrew. We wanted to share with you, oh, an exciting new story we have birthed into cinematic vision for youngs. We have a brand new movie that we made, wrote, starred in, and wrote music for called The, the Dog, Dog, The, the Boy. Boy. It is... Uh, Basically, a story that we would do on this podcast just turned into a movie for you to enjoy. Please give it a watch. We have it available online. If you go to our Twitter handle, TSMBTPod, there will be a link to the short film. Click it, and you can also find it on our SoundCloud page. That is S-O-U-N-D-C-L-O-U-D dot com slash. The story must be told. The story must be told. I thank you for joining me, Brother Reed, and Sister Callista in celebrating the story today. You're in the seat you're in, the row you're in, the section of the church you're in. You're as close to me as you are right now because of the story. And it isn't just that the story brought you here. It's that the story decided you would be here where you're sitting right now. So just feel that, okay? Sit in that. Isn't the power of the story awesome? <laughs> People always ask me, Pastor Andrew, who were you before the story found you? <laughs> and I open my mouth wide and I do this. I hold my mouth wide open like this and I don't say anything. In fact, I say, nothing. And after a pause, I go, that is who I was. I was nothing. Because I am who I am because of the story. And look, anyone who says otherwise, anything you might be hearing from people who haven't committed themselves to the story, anyone who might be our enemy will be forgotten by the story. You know Pastor Andrew, I know Pastor Andrew. I exist for the story. And the story exists for me. And the story must be told. I'm going to say a word. Weakness. So what is weakness? Weakness is the opposite of strength. And strength gives you the power to lift the story with your arms and your voices. Strength gives you the truth you need to honor the page of the book and the word of the story. The story needs to hear our voices. The story needs to hear my voice and Brother Reed's voice specifically. Because when Brother Reed speaks, when he talks, it's not his voice. It's the sound of the story within him made flesh for you. Brother Reed, please share your voice with us. Rodney was wronged by the town's children. He was mocked. Rodney, Rodney, he has sores on his body. He was mocked, yet it was true. Rodney was drip 
drip dripping with pus. His sores unslakeable, not for lack of using ointments and balms. The children continued to laugh as his sores grew bigger and bigger, some with teeth. One day, Rodney left, and a well-dressed, wealthy stranger came to town. He charmed the parents and insisted the children come over, and children only, to his estate. The children went in. They did not come out. The cadaver dogs found children buried beneath the concrete of the basement. The stranger left, and Rodney returned, swords healed. Nothing like the terror of a child to cure severe eczema. We left him alone after that. <laughs> Word made truth, brothers and sisters. That is Word made truth. And what's more refreshing to the soul than a nice, warm breath of truth? Anyone? The answer is nothing. But I can tell you what's a close second. The effervescent, slightly chemical taste of a nice warm Crocroa. Crocroa is the only soft drink approved by the church for it nourishes our souls with cleansing eternal goodness. Crocroa, my brothers and sisters, please, plump on it. A reading from the book of Slurp Slurp Gran Gran, titled, We Wish You Were a Worm. Industrial felt tentacles, heavy with water and chemical detergents, slapped against Albert's windows as greased, gigantic chains on tracks pulled his Volkswagen Jetta through the car wash. Water blasted with a hiss from unseen nozzles as light refracted kaleidoscopically through the soap on his windshield. Do not break, flashed in bright red letters every few feet. Albert gripped the steering wheel hard with his right hand, as if preparing for an unexpected turn on the guided track. In his left hand, he held his forehead in his hands and wept. For nearly 15 years, Albert felt like he was getting buried alive, little by little, every day. Working well over 40 hours a week at a routine, repetitive job in marketing, unable to make any progress in his savings account, was a shovel full of dirt over his legs. His daughter Kelsey, who rolled her eyes every time he spoke to her, if they even spoke at all, was a pile of mud over his stomach. His dying father, ravaged with Alzheimer's, stuck in a nursing home just waiting to die, was dirty gravel over Albert's chest and shoulders. His marriage with Christina, once overwhelmingly romantic and exciting, now a humorless formal business partnership, was a pile of earth over his face, choking his nostrils and mouth, covering his ears, silencing him in a wet, vermicious quietus. He existed in a state of perpetual, eternal suffocation without the promise of death. The 700 horsepower dryer blew on the Jetta from above, sending beads of water up his windshield like shooting stars. He wiped his eyes and took a deep breath as NPR jarringly came back into tune pushing his tongue against his hard palate in an attempt to slow his tears. Do not break, 
flashed in yellow lights as his Volkswagen lightly jerked forward. The lights went out, and a new alert took its place in green. Go! He pulled out of the tunnel, into the parking lot, and onto State Route 48. After a lost five minutes of driving, his turn signal clicked as he arrived at the Bethany Nursing Community and parked in the nearly empty lot. Albert walked up the path to the nursing home on a sidewalk wide enough to fit two wheelchairs with room to spare. When he arrived at the automatic door, a whoosh of air blew past his ear as a brown blur streaked over his shoulder. He flinched as a loud plunk exploded against the door in a burst of feathers, leaving a small mist of red on the glass. In its bloody, cracked beak was a chunk of a worm. The worm had been cut in half by the impact, with whatever remained of its five hearts pumping gooey blood onto the sidewalk. Albert gently put his loafer over the worm and euthanized it with the sole of his shoe, producing a satisfying squish. The automatic doors opened, and Albert approached the front desk to check in. The receptionist watched a video on his phone at full volume, with his mouth stupidly open, picking his nose. I'm here to see Harold Brightman, said Albert. The receptionist ignored him, nor did he stop picking his nose. I'm here to see Harold Brightman, Albert said with more force. Again, Albert was ignored. He reached over the desk and grabbed a clipboard with a wrinkled sign-in sheet. A Bic pen was scotch-taped to it with twine, wet with saliva from the last person who used it. Albert attempted to scribble his initials, but the ink had gone dry. He huffed and put down the clipboard with just a little too much force. There's a dead bird out front, he told the receptionist, who finally looked up without turning off his phone, continuing to pick his nose. How is that my problem? The receptionist barked, glaring, then returned his focus to the phone. Albert walked towards the elevator with his shoulders slumped and rode up to the fourth floor to see his father. An instrumental, soft-rock version of Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road played in the elevator, a soprano sax playing over the melody. Albert knocked on the door as a courtesy and let himself in. A television illuminated the dark room. On its screen, a woman in a power suit stood proudly next to a groomed, impossibly expensive Pomeranian as a judge inspected it. Hey, Dad, Albert said flatly. Confident his father wouldn't respond, he did not, nor would he. Albert pulled up a chair and watched a tiny man glide around the AstroTurf arena, holding a leash, leading a German shepherd with a graceful gait. I don't know, Dad, Albert whispered to himself. You don't know what? His father responded immediately. Dad? Oh my God! Albert shouted. (laughs) Don't yell, Albert, his father said with a wheeze, without breaking eye contact from the TV. Would you look at this shit? His dad groaned. Dad, Jesus! Oh my God! (laughs) Dad! Let me get a nurse! Albert gasped. No, don't, please. I can't handle any more needles. I don't know why they're making such a fuss. The accident wasn't that bad. Is your mother all right? They won't let me see her. Albert sighed, deflated that his father was still in a fantasy world, but the gift of hearing his voice was more than enough to bring tears of happiness to his eyes. It's... it's okay, Dad. She's doing great. She's been asking about you, too, his voice cracked. Just a few more tests and you'll be back together. Fucking jerk-offs, 
his father muttered. Albert laughed. Fucking jerkoffs, he said back. Harold changed the channel. Two detectives knocked on a door. A man with overdone makeup, a cartoonish version of a meth head, opened the door. Can we switch the TV off for a sec? Albert asked. Nope, Harold said without looking away from the TV. Dad, I wish you were here, Albert sighed. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> You're right, but Dad, Dad, I'm really unhappy, Albert cried. I don't know what to do. Harold began to shake. I want to see my mommy, Albert. <laughs> Albert, take me to my mommy. His father began shouting, crying uncontrollably. Albert, bring me my mommy. Don't put me in the dirt, Albert. I don't want to go in the dirt, he cried. If you put me in the dirt, I'm taking you with me, he screamed. Albert put his hand on his father's shoulders, matching his hysteria. Dad, Dad, it's okay, Dad. I'll get her, Dad. You stay right here, okay? Albert stood to get a nurse, but his father quickly stopped crying and was again transfixed by the TV. Dad? Dad? There was no response. Oh, Dad, please. Dad, please. I wish you were here, Dad. I need you back. Harold was again catatonic. Fuck. Fuck this. Albert whispered to himself. He left the room without saying goodbye. Albert pulled into the garage and hit the button to close the door, his car running. He fantasized about lowering the windows and letting the car run. He turned it off and went into the house. Christina and Kelsey sat at the kitchen table and immediately stopped talking when they saw him. Everything okay? Albert asked. Could you sit for a moment? said Christina. Confused, Albert sat down. Christina started. Kelsey and I were talking. We know you've been unhappy for a long time, and we feel like there's nothing else we can do to help anymore, she said, voice quivering. Christina, I never- Let her finish, Kelsey said sternly with severe eye contact. And Kelsey and I, like I said, were talking and... Christina took a moment and looked at Kelsey for encouragement. Kelsey nodded reassuringly. And we think... <sighs> we think we'd love you more if you were a worm, Christina said. She looked down at her folded hands. There was a long silence. Kelsey cleared her throat. Albert let out a sigh. A worm, huh? He said to himself. Yeah, Dad, a worm, Kelsey said with a kindness in her voice that took Albert by surprise. He nodded his head, considering their request. If he were a worm, there would be no more job. No more sleepless nights with Christina on the other side of the bed, as far as she could get away from him. No more father and perfect physical health, but with a brain turning into a raisin. No more fights with Kelsey. No more finding weed in her room or negative pregnancy tests in her bathroom. No more chest pain. He smiled. I would love to be a worm, he said happily. He reached his hands out on the table. Christina and Kelsey each took one and squeezed. He felt warmth for the first time in what felt like ages. Later that night, in the bedroom, 
Christina was changing into a nightgown as Albert read in bed. I'm thinking I'll just quit over the phone tomorrow, Albert smiled. I'm excited to fuck them over. Christina laughed. Whatever you want to do, she said, taking off her earrings. I'm a little worried about what you two will do about money, Albert said, concerned. Don't worry, I've been interviewing, Christina responded. Oh, <laughs> you have? What else have you been keeping from me? Albert asked with a surprised, empty laugh. Christina walked over to the bed and handed Albert an orange pill bottle. Dr. O'Connell said to take one each night before bed. Albert shook the bottle. A weak rattle came out of it. There are only three pills in here, Albert said. Dr. O'Connell said that's all it takes, responded Christina flatly. Start tonight. I'm going to go to bed. She crawled into bed and flipped off her nightstand light without saying goodnight. Albert cleared his throat. <clears> throat> um, Christina, do you think we could, um, do you think we could have sex? One last time? Albert asked meekly. I don't think so, Christina said with her back to him. She yawned and pulled the covers tight over her. You got it, Albert said to himself. He went to the bathroom and looked at himself in the mirror. He swallowed the pill dry without hesitating. Albert awoke the next morning with blurred vision. He could see if he squinted, but his vision had significantly deteriorated. Oh my God, he said to himself happily, croaking out the words. He looked at the clock. It was 3.27 p.m. He felt the automatic panic of being late for work, but caught himself. He tried to laugh, but physically could not, which made him want to laugh even more. Albert figured he just wouldn't call work. Fuck them. He was starving. On his nightstand was a bowl of dirt with a sticky note on it. Eat this, Christina's blocky handwriting commanded. It smelled delicious. His mouth watered. Albert went to reach for the bowl, but his arms were sealed to his sides, his fingers fused together. He attempted to move his legs, but they too were sealed together. Albert wiggled over onto his stomach to bring his face closer to the bowl of dirt and discovered his penis and scrotum had disappeared into his body. He smiled and devoured the dirt. It tasted exquisite. He licked the bowl clean and was overcome with exhaustion. He fell asleep. Again, Albert awoke, but he could not open his eyes, nor could he hear. He felt a vibration near him that his new nervous system understood to be Christina. A pill was shoved into his mouth. It tasted bitter as he crushed it in his muscular, boneless jaws. Christina rubbed a warm, wet towel over him to keep him moist. He attempted to thank her, but could not speak. Christina and Kelsey were not holding a vigil for him, nor did he expect them to. He slipped back into sleep. Albert felt himself getting pulled down the stairs. Had he a skeleton, his skull would be bouncing off the wooden steps. However, Albert slid down the steps with ease. Kelsey and Christina gripped him far too tightly, but he could not speak nor protest. The hardwood floors brushed skin off him as they dragged him, and he felt his five hearts pump to repair the damage. He slid over the carpet and out the back door. The wet grass of the backyard soothed his wounds. Christina and Kelsey let go. He felt the vibration of them catching their breath, and suddenly he was pushed hard and felt himself drop into a muddy hole. 
He felt pure ecstasy. He devoured the dirt. He wriggled, covering his new body as much as he could. He felt an unknown pleasure, a new sense of rapture. The thought of his sad life as a human was now a hilarious joke. A hand pressed against his mouth, shoving in the final pill. His muscles pushed it down. He felt mud cover him, the staggering rhythm of a shovel at work. He sensed total darkness as he fell asleep. When Albert next awoke, he was a worm. He had the setae, the clitellum, the five aortic arches. He could wiggle for hours, breathing through his skin without the fear of running out of breath like when he descended the stairs too quickly at home. He was surrounded by delicious dirt. No more poorly reheated leftovers eaten over a silent dinner table with Christina and Kelsey. In time, his body learned from the vibrations around him. He knew the rhythm of a bird's feet hopping across grass. He understood the slow vibration of a fellow worm passing beside him. He could predict sharp rocks buried in his way by sudden tightness in the dirt. Sometimes Albert blew through the dirt like a torpedo. Other times he wriggled at a leisurely pace, enjoying different scents of the mud around him. But then a new vibration came from the surface. First, it felt like the faraway boom of a bass drum, then more beats, then rapping like a snare. It was raining. It hadn't rained yet. His nervous system commanded him to surface and escape a watery fate. The mud was slick and the work was exhausting. He wriggled and pushed and wriggled some more. The vibration of the rain against the mud was deafening. He felt the temperature rise as he got closer to the surface. Finally, he broke through. His body sucked in air through his skin as his hearts finally stopped pounding. Albert felt mammoth blades of grass around him, towering impossibly high into the sky. He was overwhelmed with relief as he calmed when pain exploded in the center of his body. He was lifted out of the dirt and into the sky, wind rushing past him, drying out his mucousy skin. Albert wanted to scream, but he could not. He halted to a stop, his head, or what would be his head, spinning. A sharp clench of a beak split him in half. The two parts of him tried to wriggle away from one another to safety, but the beak found him. He was chopped to pieces like a chef mincing an onion. Albert was obliterated. He was turned into mush and half digested in the robin's stomach acid. The bird vomited him into her starving chick's mouths. Soon, he would be white-black, wet bird shit, splattering onto cars below. And he was never happier. The story must be told. What does a mother bird do, brothers and sisters, when she can't look her hatchlings in the eye? When she looks at their beady, colorless, black eyes and sees herself reflected in them, she lifts them with their beak and she throws them from her nest. She's not testing to see if they can fly. She's casting them out. Letting gravity do her dirty work so they may fall with a plop. So they might squish. 
so that a father might find one in the yard when he's mowing the lawn, hesitate, and then roll it over anyway, sucking them under his blade. I see those hatchlings, brothers and sisters, when I look out at the congregation right now. I need you to leave. I need you to leave right now. Because I don't know what the story is going to make me do next. Thank you for listening to The Story Must Be Told, and I brought a stranger into my house so I could shave him. <laughs> Take off your shirt, pal. We're graciously hosted on the last podcast network, and oh, holy cow, buddy, that is one hairy back in the, a mold the size of a baseball. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TSMBTPod. And you know what? Pastor Andrew, Brother Reed, and Sister Calista are now on Twitter at PSTRAndrew, at our Brother Reed, at Sister Callista. The razor is sharp, but I'm out of shaving cream. Mind if I use some pomade? Buy one of our shirts. Find the link in our Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud to those shirts. And <laughs> look, buddy, I told you not to flinch, and it doesn't look like that'll stop bleeding anytime soon. Rate and review us, and oh, buddy, better get a towel. You might want to sit down. This was a Post Everything production. Learn more at posteverythingproductions.com for all sorts of gooey free content. Like films. Oh, wow. Wow, you hit the tub uh, pretty hard there, pal. So I better get rid of you and find a new stranger to shave. Good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> the story must be told.